0: Hello again, Um, very apologetic that we can't be there in person uh, yet again, Uh, but I have um, personally tested positive um, for COVID. Um, So far I've just had a bit of a headache, that's been about it, so um, I'm praying that that will be all I have at the worst of it. Um, But a question I have for you is, are you acquainted with the story of Bill and the mop Bucket? Maybe you are and you just don't know it. Bill is an 80-year-old retired professional who supplements his fixed income with night shift cleaning and maintenance work. His health isn't what it used to be. Gout keeps him awake at night. Uh, Arthritis makes him ache. His glasses are so thick that his eyeballs look twice the size that they actually are. His shoulders stoop, but still he does the required work slopping soapy waters on lino floors, scrubbing the heel marks left by the well-heeled lawyers of the offices that he attends. He'll be finished an hour before quitting time. He always is, has been for years. Always finishes early, but never leaves early. He'll put away his bucket and take a seat outside the office of the senior partner, and he'll wait. He could leave early, no one would know, but no, he doesn't. He broke the rules once, never again. Sometimes if the door is open, he'll wander into the office of the senior partner and just take a look at the office. It's twice the size of his apartment. He'll he'll run his finger over the desk and, and he'll stroke the leather, the leather couch. He'll stand at the window and watch the the grey sky turn gold and he'll remember how once he had such an office, back when he was William. This cleaner was an executive long ago, before the night shift, before the mop bucket, before the maintenance uniform, before the scandal. Bill made a mistake he could never forget. It was a grave mistake. Bill, he killed someone. He came upon this thug beating up an innocent man and he lost control. Word got out and so Bill got out. He'd rather hide than go to jail. So he ran and the executive became a fugitive. That was years ago. It's a true story. A true story made even more dramatic by the incident with the mop bucket. At first, he thought it was just some joke the fellows on the third floor used to play. These kind of tricks, they're always up to something. You see, he heard a voice coming out of the mop bucket William, William. Bill turned. No one called him William anymore. William. William. He stepped toward the bucket and it was was glowing bright red hot red. He could feel the heat three meters away. He stepped forward and looked in the bucket. The water wasn't boiling but the pot was hot. How could it be? This is strange, he mumbled to himself as he took another step closer to get a closer look and this time the voice said stop don't come any closer take off your shoes where you stand is holy ground and suddenly Bill knew who was speaking you think I'm making this up don't you sounds crazy almost irreverent God speaking from a mop bucket to a cleaner named Bill well Would it be more believable if I told you that it was God speaking through a burning bush to a shepherd named Moses? Just because we're familiar with the story doesn't make it any less spectacular than it was the day it first happened in the wilderness with the 80 year old shepherd. By now, however, we're starting to grow accustomed to spectacular stories, aren't we? as we we work through the story a chronological series in which we each week we cover a major section of um as god leads us down his divine timeline we began just a few weeks ago looking at creation and then the ensuing fall of adam and eve and um and then of course we we covered the flood and noah and then the creation of the tower of babel the next chapter introduces introduced us to abram and sarai or as they came to be known abraham and sarah who would have thought that they received a baby about the same time you know years after they would have received the age pension but that's what happened and they they did and, and consequently the nation of israel was born when isaac was born and then came last week's chapter and the story of joseph joseph the great grandson of abraham sold down the river by his brothers and sent into egyptian slavery but then god turned that prisoner into a prince and in doing so actually saved not just the jewish people but the lineage of jesus christ and we begin to catch a hint of what God is doing there, and and what we're seeing down here doesn't seem like uh, they, they match up. But God is always up to something good, even if it might be difficult for us to grasp or understand. 400 years passed. The children of Israel, the Hebrew nation, is still in Egypt. But the favour of Pharaoh that was upon Joseph has long since passed, and there is no favour upon the Hebrew people, just the opposite. The Egyptians resent the presence of the Hebrews and are concerned because the nation just continues to grow, grow and grow and grow it does. So they inaugurate the first genocide. The firstborn of every Hebrew family is to be killed. And it was this world that welcomed the baby Moses. It was into this world that Moses was born and it was in the chaos of this world that Moses received the call. You might remember his story. He was adopted nobility. He was an Israelite reared in, a, in an Egyptian palace. His countrymen were slaves, but Moses was privileged. He ate at the royal table. He was educated in the finest schools, but his most influential teacher had no degree. It was his mother. Remember how when he was plucked out of the Nile River, there appeared a young girl, Moses' sister sent by her mother to look over him and the Egyptians asked her to find uh, a, a nanny. Moses and so not knowing but this girl took Moses home to his biological mother and so she raised Moses don't you know she prayed for Moses and don't you know there were times in which she looked into the face of her young son and said now don't forget who you are God is going to use you for something special. Don't forget who you are. And he didn't forget. The flame of injustice grew within his heart brighter and brighter until that one day when he was 40 years old, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave and Moses intervened and killed the Egyptian. Knowing that spelled the end for him, Moses fled and ended up in the wilderness. And that's where he spent the next 40 years. He assumed, I would imagine, that he would never, ever get back to Egypt. I guess we can call that a pretty serious career change. He went from sitting with heads of state to counting heads of sheep. And by the time he was 80 years old, he'd spent four decades in the wilderness, never thinking he would ever go back to Egypt. We know that because when God came to him, not through a mop bucket, but through a burning bush and spoke to him, Moses was resistant. Moses said to him, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, I know how I would answer that question. Who are you? Well, Moses, you're the young man who grew up as a Hebrew, who was trained by the Egyptians. You're the one who speaks perfect Egyptian. You're the one who understands the science and the language. You're the one who sat in on cabinet decisions. You're the one who has instant access to Pharaoh. You are the perfect one to go back. And then I would have said, you're you're the only one that has been trained for the last 40 years in the very wilderness through which you were going to lead the Hebrew people. You know, every cave, every lizard, every snake. You had 40 years of training in Egypt. You've had 40 years of training in the wilderness. You're the perfect one for this job. I would have made a big deal out of Moses. But God doesn't mention Moses at all all he does is tell Moses his name you want to know how you're going to get through this Moses here's the way God answers that question God said to Moses I am who I am this is what you were to say the, to the Israelites I am has sent me to you and we know We know many titles of God, but this this is the name of God. The self-assigned name of God, Yahweh, Yahweh. It comes from a confluence of two Hebrew verbs, I am and I caused to be, Yahweh. Just tell them who sent you. If you come up to me today and say, Aaron, how are you doing? And I say, I am. You're going to say, finish the sentence, because we don't get by with saying, I am, because we change. We change from year to year, from month to month, from day to day, even from minute to minute. How are you? I'm hungry. I'm sleepy. I'm cranky. I'm fine. We have to finish the sentence because we're always changing. The point? God never changes. He is the only one who ever said, I am who I am and got by with it. The reason you're going to to do this, Moses, the reason you're going to succeed in this, Moses, is because I am. I am strong. I am faithful. I am good. Everything God has ever been is everything he will ever be. And the power, Moses, does not rely upon you, Moses, but the power relies upon me. What matters, Moses, is not your ability, but your availability. Some of you need to hear that. Just saying, I'm not up to being a parent. I don't think I can save my marriage. I'm not sure I can hang in with these employees or employers. I'm not sure I have the patience. I'm not sure I have the wisdom. I'm afraid I'm too old. I'm afraid I'm too young, I'm, I'm afraid. And then we begin to fill in the blanks. And God's response to us is the same response he gave to Moses. It really doesn't matter about you. What matters is that you lean into me and who I am. Lloyd Douglas was the author of the novel The Robe and several other classics. He, he told the story of how he, when he was in college, he stayed in a boarding house of sorts and was on the second floor. On the first floor was a retired music professor who was wheelchair bound and the two struck up a, a friendship. And every day Lloyd Douglas would stop and poke his head in the doorway of the apartment of the retired music professor. And he would say, what's the good word, prof? And every day that professor would pull from his, his pocket a tuning fork. And he would take that tuning fork and he would hit it against the middle part of his wheelchair and would put it up to his ear and let it vibrate. And he would say to Lloyd that my friend is a middle C. The tenor upstairs seems flat, the piano across the hallway is out of tune, but that's still a middle C. That's the good news. What's the point? It's good news that there's a middle C in the world. It's good that there's something that doesn't change. Listen you and I live in a in a changing world it's changing so fast we can barely keep up with it it's moving the economy is changing the political landscape is changing the geopolitical world is changing even churches change add to that you're changing I mean hair's growing where it didn't used to things are getting bigger things are getting smaller you're forgetting you're remembering you're changing And you're married to someone who's changing. You're raising kids that are changing. You have parents who are changing. It's a changing world. Listen, change will freak us out unless we lock into the unchanging hand of the almighty I am, Yahweh. It seems to me God was saying to Moses, you're about to lead a nation through change and what you need to know is I don't. I don't. The same God who was yesterday is a God who is tomorrow, is a God who is always. You need an unchanging God in a changing world. Well, after some more talk, Moses said yes and we've got to move quickly through the dramatic back and forth between moses and pharaoh moses would say let my people go pharaoh would say no but then would come a plague and then pharaoh would weaken and he would say yes and then moses would begin to say i'm going to get the people together and then pharaoh would resist and it was this back and forth and back and forth and there was there was one plague after another and i've listed them you know maybe you've read about them Uh, The river became blood, then frogs, gnats, flies, disease in the livestock, boils, storms, locusts, darkness. Every time there was a display of God's power, the people began to understand the mighty power of God. But Pharaoh would resist until finally the sign, the, the moment that changed everything. And it was through this final plague through this final sign that God revealed his plan for redemption. God told Moses to instruct every family to take an unblemished lamb, to kill it and to apply some of the blood to the doorpost of the home. Let me read it to you. I'm in Exodus chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. What a strange command. What an eerie night. Hebrews who indwelt the part of the city where the road was muddy and the huts were small. The Hebrews slaughtered the lambs and the leader of each house with a bowl full of blood and a brush. Took that blood and took that brush. Dipped the brush into the bowl and streaked it across his doorway. Across the entryway to his house. A slash of crimson. And then at midnight. At midnight firstborns. Were there no slash of blood on the homes, where there had been no mark on the doorway, that's when the firstborns took their final breath. Fathers heard their sons' gasp, wives heard their husbands' gasp. One eerie, bone-chilling night of pain and sorrow, only the blood-covered homes were spared. Now, why were the Hebrew people spared? Of all the places over whom the angel of death passed, why were they spared? Was it because they were Hebrews? Was it because they knew Moses? No, it had nothing to do with who they were. It had nothing to do with who they knew. It had everything to do with where they were. They were beneath the blood of the Lamb. They positioned themselves in a place where they were beneath the blood of the lamb. Question. Had you been there? Had you been one of those Hebrew families? Would you have obeyed the command? Would you? Had you been told to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, and sacrifice the lamb, then take the blood and put it over the entryway? Would you have done it? Or would you have said that's the craziest thing I think I've ever ever heard? You see, no one had ever done like this, anything like this before. And as far as I'm, I can tell, it's the first and final command a time that 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 command was ever given in Scripture. Would you have done it? It's more than a rhetorical question because you see, you and I have the same problem that the Hebrews had in Egypt, and that is that we are enslaved. We are enslaved not to Pharaoh, but to sin. We do the very thing we say we'll never do. We try to run the world ourselves. We keep climbing up on the throne, telling God to get lost. Maybe not with our words, but certainly with our actions and our thoughts. We are enslaved to sin. And we don't need someone just to help us we need someone to deliver us we need someone to walk us out we need someone to redeem us and so far as as far back as even in the story of moses we begin to see god's plan of redemption it involves the shedding of blood and the arrival of a lamb do you remember what john the baptist said when he saw jesus Christ he said in John 1 29 he said look the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world do you remember how the Apostle Paul described the role of Jesus Christ he called Jesus Christ our Passover Lamb who has been sacrificed you see you and I need exactly what the Hebrew people needed We need someone to rescue us. And so God gives us a perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. And we position ourselves not beneath the blood-stained doorway of a house in Egypt, but we position ourselves beneath the blood-covered cross of Jerusalem. And we stand there and we trust in the ability of God to save us To lead us out. Isn't it amazing how the story of the gospel is appearing. All the way back in the days of Abraham and Joseph and Moses. And that that crimson thread which begins in the Garden of of Eden. Is running all the way through the story of the Bible. Into the book of, of Revelation. Every story works together to tell us that we need someone to deliver us. But we don't need a Moses, we need a Jesus Christ. So the question is more than rhetorical. And I'll ask you again, if invited to position yourself beneath the covering of the lamb designated by God, would you do so? Have you done so? The vast majority of the people in the world right now say that that's the most foolish thing they've ever heard of. The vast majority of people in the world say, I don't need someone to die for me because I'm a pretty good person. But when Jesus Christ came onto the planet as the only perfect person who ever lived, we realised that compared to him, we all fall short. Did I tell you about the story of a boy whose mother used to tell him to clean up his room? I'm not sure who the boy was. And that boy would always point to his brother's bedroom, that was messier than his, because it was, and say, Mum, look at my brother's room. And she would say, it's not his room you should be comparing with, you come and look at my room. And she'd lead the boy into her room, which was neat upon neat every wrinkle was removed from every part of the bed no shoe was out of place every piece of clothing was hung up every piece of floor was visible she said this is what i call neat the king of kings sent his son to live the perfect life on this earth gone forever was the excuse that says well compared to him or compared to them i'm pretty decent God points at Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb, and says, now that's what I call perfection. Wise is the person who says that I need help, I need deliverance. You know, as far as we know, every Hebrew family accepted God on his offer. As far as we know, they allowed God to lead them out, lead them through the Red Sea, out of Egypt. But somewhere between the Red Sea and the Jordan River, they got cold feet. You see, it was God's plan to lead them straight out of Egypt and into the promised land. But somewhere between the Red Sea and the Jordan River, they forgot. That's a story for next week. We can't go that far today. But we can walk away with a few takeaway messages from Moses' story thus far. First of all would you receive again the call of God would you maybe you are where Moses was maybe you feel like you're too old or maybe you feel like you you've done the wrong thing maybe you've been off the grid maybe you've been out of the loop maybe you feel like you're too weak or too sinful or whatever To you, God says what God said to Moses. What matters is not who you are. What matters is who I am. What matters is not your ability, but your availability. Never has the old saying been more true than it was with Moses. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Now, we know this is true for you because of promises that we have, like this one in the book of Philippians. God began doing a good work in you, and I'm sure he will continue it until it is finished when Jesus Christ comes again. I asked you, has Jesus Christ come again? Has he? You can say no if you want. At least we hope he hasn't, otherwise, we're all left behind no no he hasn't come back so jesus christ has begun a good work in you and he will continue it until christ comes back so the fact that he has yet to come back means that he is still working in you behold the work of god he is at work in you right now in other words he ain't finished with you yet that's not good english but that's good news he ain't finished with you yet so stand strong against the devil when he tries to tell you that you're too old or that you're far you're you're from the wrong side of the tracks the wrong gender the wrong education or the wrong economic background or whatever it is you stand strong against him Can you remind me of that 80-year-old shepherd in the wilderness who was 40 years removed, he thought, from his prime, only to hear God say, no, the best is yet to be. Receive again the call of God on your heart. He ain't finished with you yet. And receive anew the redemption of God of God receive the redemption of God let him redeem you let him forgive you stand beneath of the blood-stained cross of Christ Max Licardo tells the story from some time ago where he and his wife went out to dinner and they had a delightful time At the end of the dinner, the waiter came with a bill and placed it on their table and said that they'd be back in a minute to to get the credit card. After a minute, a member of their church, someone who'd been sitting across the restaurant, saw them and came over to say hello. And so they chatted for a few minutes and this person said, well, enjoy your dinner. And then he reached down and you know what he did? He grabbed the bill and stuck it in his pocket and he said, I'll take that. What a great guy, godly guy, wonderful man, surely an inspiration to all of us, right? Uh, So you know what Max did? He let him take the bill. He wanted to, so so Max let him take it. And so when the waiter came by a few minutes later to pick up the cheque with the credit card, Max pointed at the kind gentleman and said, he took it. She looked over at him and he waved back you know that the Bible says that someday we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to give an account to the way we used our lives. Every thought, every deed, every word, we're going to give an account for it. Now, were it not for Jesus Christ, that would terrify me. If you knew my thoughts, my deeds, every word I've ever spoken, every every thought I've ever thought, all my deeds, you'd never let me preach and I wouldn't blame you. I'm crooked from head to toe, as we all are. But because of Jesus Christ, I have absolutely no fear of that moment. In fact, I can't wait for that moment because whenever they produce a list of all my sins... You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to point at Jesus. And you know what I'm going to say? He took it. Because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Have you let him take yours? You know, here's the thing about the gospel while the gospel is free, it's never forced. While it's free, it's never forced. What the gospel requires from you is the same thing, really, that it required from of the Hebrew people. They could have said no. They could have said, I'm not positioning myself beneath the blood of the Lamb. They could have. They could have, but, but they didn't. And consequently, they were delivered. May you make the same decision they did. For while it's free, it's never forced. Receive anew the redemption of God. Now, there might be some among us who have never done that before. Who have never declared that they want to receive the redemption of God through Jesus Christ. Who takes away the sin of the world. Their sin. Your sin. My sin if that is you today and you want to receive God's forgiveness for your sin, you want to stand under the blood of the Lamb, you want to receive the redemption God freely offers to you, then I want you to encourage you just to raise your hand right now. You know, we're all among friends. It's nothing to be embarrassed about, but in fact, it's something to celebrate together. If that's you, then raise your hand. And I'm sure that there's going to be people that come around you and support you and encourage you. And uh, I'd love to contact you and be in, in contact with you too. Let's pray. Lord, this is our prayer. That even now with these words still in our ears, that we could be thankful for the redemption we receive that we would be quick to receive the redemption we did not deserve. Help us, Father, to receive the message of the gospel today. To Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings to you all.